welcome to Murder and Mystery. I'm your host, Summer. And I'm Lisa. Due to our crazy Oklahoma weather, the snow, the ice, the unsafe roads, uh, Lisa and I were not able to record together. So for this campfire episode, Lisa recorded it herself, but we still wanted to acknowledge and celebrate Black History Month and bring you the very disturbing story of the Tulsa Race Massacre. She's telling the story and I wasn't there, but I do want to chime in that I have lived in Oklahoma or had lived in Oklahoma. I went to school here. I lived here until I was 19 years old and moved to Texas and lived there for 17 years and it wasn't until I came back about seven years ago that I actually heard about this. I had never learned about it in history books. I never learned about it from anywhere while I lived in Oklahoma while I grew up. So I thought it was extremely interesting and extremely important that this is made public and that this history no matter how brutal and how horrible and embarrassing it is, is put out there because Lisa and I both support all people. Um, We both support the rights of everybody and believe that all voices should be heard. And we do believe that Black Lives Matter. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the uh, Tulsa Race Massacre. That happened, but before we get into everything that that went on, let's have a little bit of history about the area, Oklahoma in general. Oklahoma was all Indian territory, and this was where many Native Americans were forced to move uh, when, you know, the Trail of Tears happened, and this was one of their main settlements. And the Native Americans did have some African American slaves that had went with them, that moved with them. And by 1906, uh, practically all of these slaves have already had integrated with the tribes and they were considered to be part of those tribes. A lot of these African-Americans were also granted land through the Dawes Act because they were part of those tribes. And some of this land was in Tulsa, around the the eastern Oklahoma, you know, Tulsa area. A lot of these African-Americans took in black sharecroppers, they were, they were the ones that were, you know, trying to get away from oppression, trying to start over in life. And Oklahoma began to promote itself as a safe haven for these people looking for some sort of asylum from the racial tension and the oppression that they, you know, were facing. Black townships in Oklahoma began to pop up. Uh, this was like 1865, uh, And in between 1865 and 1920, more than 50 black townships had started in Oklahoma in general. And one of the largest in the United States was even here. So it was a booming community. Um, And then in 1906, a man named O.W. Gurley, um, who was a black landowner, purchased 40 acres in Tulsa and named it Greenwood after a town in Mississippi. He had this awesome vision to create something that was just for the black community. So he started these boarding houses that were ran, uh, loaned money to other African-Americans who wanted to start businesses. And O.W. Gurley is actually credited with uh, like being the first like starter of the first black business owner. Like he, he funded this man as the first black business owner in Oklahoma. 
A lot of other people followed in Gurley's lead. Uh, J.W. Stafford, he was actually born into slavery in Kentucky and moved to Oklahoma in 1898. He built a huge luxury hotel, the Stafford Hotel, um, and it was the largest black-owned hotel in the country. So this was this was a booming metropolis. A lot was happening back then. And uh, J.B. Stafford also went on to become a lawyer and an activist for African Americans. He believed they had a better chance at economic progression if they pooled their money together and helped each other out. A.J. Smitherman was a publisher whose family moved to Indian Territory in the 1890s. He, taught, he was the one that started the Tulsa Star, which was a black, black-ran newspaper. It was located in the Greenwood area and was instrumental in establishing the district's social conscious mindset. Like, it was the paper to read, basically. It informed them about their legal rights and any court rulings or legislations that was beneficial or even harmful to the African-American community there. And, and by 1921, Tulsa had grown, you know, and was being very prosperous. There was a lot of oil money coming in. There was a lot of stuff. But the crime rate was really high. And people were still taking matters into their own hands. The Wild West a little bit, you know. Um, Tulsa was also highly segregated. And most of its city's 10,000 black residents lived in that Greenwood neighborhood. So it's not a, a very large chunk of Tulsa, but, you know, a bigger chunk of Tulsa. And they, they kind of stayed to themselves. And, you know, the district was pretty self-sufficient, not necessarily just, you know, for convenience, but necessity because, you know, segregation equals racism, you know, and, and there was a lot of racism and a lot of rampant racism in the area. And there was a railroad track that divided the city and isolated Greenwood from the rest of the city. So it was easily segregated even. And uh, Greenwood Avenue had shops, grocery stores, hotels, jewelry stores, like clothing boutiques, movie theaters. Like they needed nothing. They had barbershops. They had lawyers, doctors, dentists, their own salons, libraries, nightclubs, everything. They had, they had their own town within a town as they had set up their own ecosystem, basically. Um, they had their own school system, post office, banks, hospitals. Like it was, it was you know, a big deal. And a lot of these residents were pretty well-to-do because they were putting their money into each other and they were building each other up. And, uh, you know, it caught the eye of some local white residents that really didn't like the idea of these people being so prosperous when a lot of the people in Tulsa at that time were very poor. So, you know, this causes a lot of racial tension. You have the segregation as a whole. And then you have the class segregation that they're seeing happening and the fact that they don't believe that these African-Americans should have as much as they have. This goes on for a while and nothing really happens. It's getting tense. It's building, though. On May 30th in 1921, a boy named Dick Rowland was a 19-year-old African-American shoeshiner. He actually worked downtown instead of in the Greenwood District. So he had to cross those railroad tracks cross over the line, as it were, to go work in the Drexel building downtown. And so he was working at his post on Memorial Day weekend in 1921. He walked into the Drexel building to use the restroom that was located on the third floor, and he entered into the elevator that just so happened to be operated by a 17-year-old white woman named Sarah Page. 
And nobody really knows what happens for sure, but at some point, Miss Page screamed, and Mr. Roland ran from the elevator and fled the building. The next day, he's arrested by the police, and by this time, the rumors of what had happened in the elevator are going insane. You know, the everybody has their own speculations, and it just gets worse and worse, and the front page of the Tulsa Tribune, which was the white ran newspaper there was uh roland was arrested for a sexual assault is what it, it is what they were saying and so the evening of may 31st a large group of angry white men gathered at the courthouse demanding that roland be handed over to them so we're doing vigilante justice wild west lawlessness basically um the sheriff refused and had his men barricade roland at the top floor with them protecting the man. So they're on full alert. Things are getting very hectic and crazy. And then the black community starts hearing rumors of this lynch mob that is after Roland. And so around nine o'clock that night, about 25 armed black men, and this even included some World War I veterans, you know, that had come back. Like, they went to the courthouse to offer help in, in guarding Roland. They were very concerned, but they were turned away from the sheriff and ensured that he would be kept safe. And so they go back, but the rumors are just continuing to circulate and nobody really knows what's happening. They just know that these men had been at the courthouse. So they gather up a group of 75 black men this time and they come back to the courthouse about a little after 10 to ensure that this guy is, is safe. And, um, they are met with a mob of about 1500 white men demanding that the prisoner be turned over to them. They want, they want to do it their way. And shots end up being fired. Um, some say it started when a white man tried to disarm a black man. But as soon as that shot went off, it became chaos. And as you know, the black, the black people were trying to like get back to their homes. The, the mob of white men grew from the chaos and the noise that were happening. And just, it became a, a terrible, horrible scene. As the black men retreated, you know, some of these some of these people were deputized by city officials and many of them were provided firearms by the city to try to get these, you know, people in order. And private plans also descended in areas to terrorize the citizens of Greenwood. So these people are pretending to be wanting to help and all they're all they're trying to do is, is just pillage this poor neighborhood and Firefighters who arrived to put out fires in the area later testified that rioters had threatened them with guns and forced them to leave without helping the citizens. So by June 1st, the National Guard has declared martial law and is putting an end to this crazy violence that's happening. Um, there was destruction to 35 city blocks and 6,000 citizens were under armed guard at the local fairgrounds. 10,000 black people were left homeless. Uh, they estimate about a, a 1.5 million in real estate damage and like 750,000 in personal property damage. That would be like 32 and a quarter million today. Like it was massive destruction. Um, the death toll was originally recorded at 39 dead. In 2001, a state commissioner, a state commission examination of the events that happened was able to establish 26 of those deaths were black individuals and 13 of those were white. This was done with an examination of autopsy reports, death certificates, and other records. However, the commission believes that many were buried without being officially recorded. 
And in the past year, they've been searching for these mass graves to try and get an official count and respectfully intern these bodies. In the hours after the massacre, all charges against Dick Rowland were dropped. It was determined that he had either stumbled into Miss Page or maybe stepped on her foot, and that was the reason that she screamed. There was not any type of sexual or physical assault that they could even say happened. He left Holson the next day and never came back. I mean, went through hell, basically. Um, this is considered one of the single worst incidences of racial violence in our history. Yet, no one actually, a lot of people didn't know about this. It was kept very quiet. In 1996, which was 75 years after this happened, Oklahoma just started a commission to study what happened in 1921. Their final report was published in in 2001 and stated that the city had conspired with a mob of white citizens to perpetuate violence and destruction against the Greenwood community and its citizens. And they recommended a program of reparations for the descendants of this race riot that happened. The state created a scholarship for descendants of the survivors and dedicated a park in 2010. In 2020, the massacre became part of the Oklahoma school curriculum. Like, it wasn't even in our own state history books. <laughs> like, it, it, it was nowhere. It was hidden, basically. So, the last, the last survivor of the massacre, Hal Singer... An R&B and jazz saxophonist died in, on August 18th of 2020. He was 100 years old. So it's not, it's history, but it wasn't even that long ago. When you think about it, when you think about it, it wasn't, it wasn't even that long ago. So yeah, absolutely horrible thing that happened. Hidden from a lot of people. Um, I know, I know uh, Russell Westbrook has like funded a documentary about the race massacre and it's either out now or it's going to be out now in a, you know, pretty soon. But yeah, this is just, it was so long ago and now people are just now like, Oh my gosh, what happened? Like people are just now coming to the realization that something really terrible happened. And like, it's been managed to be literally hidden from us for years just because of how horrible it was really. But yeah. So, uh, that was, you know, the Tulsa Race Massacre.